Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. I'm glad you joined us today. You know, each day we live, we have a series of choices of where we spend our time, what we think, and how to go about our day. And some people choose to fill the gaps in their day with worthwhile things like uplifting podcasts. And this podcast is born from a deep desire to help us all live a happier life. And the firm belief that a powerful way to make that happen is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing life. We believe at the foundation of our behavior and beliefs is the way we see the world and ourselves in it. So, hopefully today, in this time together, we will get a new perspective of how to think and live better. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about why you're attractive. On January 31st, 1971, more than 51 years ago, Stuart Rusa, Alan Shepard, and Edgar Mitchell walked onto the launch platform and boarded the Apollo 14 spacecraft sitting atop a Saturn V rocket. Now, the rocket itself was taller than a 36-story building at 363 feet. At 6.5 million pounds, this Saturn V rocket was the heaviest rocket ever built. Now, being heavy is not an advantage when you're trying to lift off the ground and break free of the Earth's gravity. The rocket was loaded with millions of pounds of liquid hydrogen and oxygen. Now, to convert hydrogen and oxygen to a liquid form, you must cool the gases to a temperature of more than minus 200 degrees Celsius. That's seriously cold. And once in the tanks of the rocket, at takeoff, the hydrogen and oxygen are pumped into the combustion chamber of the rocket engines. There, these cooled propellants are ignited. And when this happens, hydrogen reacts explosively with oxygen to form water. That's right, water. And when that happens, massive amounts of energy are released along with heat and steam. Now, the heat causes the water to evaporate, but all of this energy and steam and heat exit the nozzles of the engine at 10,000 miles per hour, and that propels the rocket from the Earth. Now, the spacecraft itself had a command module, which was about 11 feet by 13 feet, a tiny space for three astronauts for more than a week. Also aboard the spacecraft was a service module and a lunar module that would be used to descend to the surface of the moon. As the three astronauts waited on top of this mountain of explosive gases, no doubt they remembered the Apollo missions that had gone before them. Four years earlier, Apollo 1 never got off the ground. The command module caught fire, killing the crew on the launch pad. Apollo 13 never made it to the moon due to an explosion in the service module oxygen tank. Well, finally, after several delays at 4 p.m., the okay for takeoff was given and the Apollo rockets were ignited. The first stage of the rocket burn lasted three minutes and lifted the spacecraft 40 miles into the air. The second stage lasted six minutes and pushed the spacecraft another 117 miles, increasing the speed to over 15,000 miles per hour. The third stage took them out of orbit and towards the moon, and their trip to the moon would take a little more than three days. Once there, Russo stayed with the spacecraft, and Shepard and Mitchell boarded the lunar module. 
But as the descent to the moon started, there was a problem. The computer kept coming on and aborting the mission, causing the module to return to orbit. So the astronauts told the computer manually that the abort had already happened to keep it from recurring. Then another problem, the landing radar wasn't working, which guided them to the moon's surface. So what did they do? They rebooted the system. (laughs) Once it was rebooted, it worked, and they landed on the moon. On the moon's surface, Shepard and Mitchell began their experiments. Mitchell took a break partway through, and at one point, he knew he was on camera for the world, so he pulled out a six iron and hit two golf balls. Then they gathered up 94 pounds of moon rocks as samples. One rock on the surface of the moon caught Shepard's eye. It weighed almost 20 pounds, and he put it in the lunar wheelbarrow, and it, along with the other rocks, made it safely back to Earth. Now, the Apollo 14 mission was a success, but what the crew and the geologists and everyone else at NASA didn't know wasn't discovered until 2019. Yes, in 2019, a group of researchers started studying the moon rocks in greater detail. And what they soon found was that Big Bertha, that big rock that Shepard found and named, wasn't like any other rock in the bunch. Big Bertha was a clast, or a highly compacted rock full of fragments, that could not have been formed on the moon. Well, where are similar types of clasts found? On the Earth, in the form of granite. After eliminating all other possibilities, the scientists concluded that all Shepard did was bring an earth rock that somehow made it to the moon back to the earth where it was originally formed. Likely, this rock made it to the moon as a result of an asteroid colliding with the earth, sending shrapnel into the universe. Now, here is the question. Why did Shepard pick this particular granite rock from all the others he could have selected on the moon's surface? Was there something familiar? attractive about this rock? Well, the science of attraction would suggest yes. You see, there's a reason we're attracted to certain things and people. It's likely that there was something that Shepard saw that was familiar in the rock, yet he was unaware it was guiding his choice. Likewise, most of the time, we are unaware of why we are attracted to something or someone. For example, in a recent test, Men were unknowingly more attracted to ovulating women than non-ovulating women. In another study, just as bizarre, women were asked to smell the unwashed t-shirts of men. And the women, most often, chose t-shirts worn by men whose MHC molecules differed from their own. What are MHC molecules? Well, they're the proteins that strengthen our immune system. So the women were naturally and unknowingly attracted to men whose strengths complemented their own, creating a greater variety of immune protection for their offspring. Now, you see, each day, we make decisions and conduct our lives and move in one direction or another based on attraction. We may be more attracted to one type of job or another, or one type of food or another, or one type of person or another. And these choices guide our life. Research shows that our attraction often stems from our patterns of experiences in life going back to early childhood. Essentially, we tie the people from our childhood memories to those that we meet in the present. And apparently, we try to copy and recreate those figures from our childhood 
And we're able to recognize personality traits of people in the present that are similar. For example, if your best friend from primary school was taller than you, it could explain why you're attracted to tall people now. Now, study summarized in the book Beauty Pays tells us that attractive people earn more than people considered average looking. In a large nationwide study, it was shown that attractive people earn 15% more than others in the exact same jobs. Attractive salespeople are proven to bring in more revenue for their companies. Attractive women get more in negotiations. Attractive people receive more callbacks for interviews. But remember, attractiveness has a broader definition beyond mere physical beauty. Whether you turn heads or not, the science of attraction proves there are many desirable traits common among people that make them attractive. In fact, it's proven that attractiveness has more to do with who you are than how you look. So, if you're in the people business and have regular interaction with the human side of work, whether it be with customers, vendors, or team members, it helps to have a good understanding of why you are attractive. Now, science has confirmed there are certain traits that will attract others to you. Have you ever felt attracted to someone, but you can't quite put your finger on why? Well, perhaps it's a colleague you once found irritating or that person you keep seeing in your local shop, and now you seem drawn to them. This can be explained by the basic principles of proximity and familiarity. This is a psychological phenomenon where being exposed to a person repeatedly is enough to produce liking for that person. Now, if you're in the sales business and don't think that repeated positive interaction with a person doesn't create more attraction to and affinity for that person, you are wrong. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, met his wife, for example, when she was four and he was 12. She lived in France and he was there traveling with his father. The two would later meet again in London when they were older. And when they met, his affinity for her was still there. And they would marry and remain married until his death. Harry Truman met his wife in church. He was six and she was five years old, but he remembered her golden curls and blue eyes. Years later, that memory of her influenced him to court her, and they were married in 1919. And there are other reasons for attraction. The more similar a person's attitudes, beliefs, and values are to ours, the more we are attracted to them. And this also extends to demographic characteristics and nonverbal behaviors like mimicry. Recent research published in Social Influence magazine tells us of one study in which researchers asked three female research assistants to take part in a speed dating session. The women were asked to randomly mimic their male speed dating partners. Particularly, the women research assistants repeated some of the words and statements and verbal expressions used by the men, such as, it's fun or that's great. The women also copied some of the nonverbal body language of the men, such as stroking their own face or scratching their ear or folding their arms. Well, after the conclusion of the speed dating session, the male participants were asked to rate the female research assistants along with the other female speed daters. And they rated them on a number of different criteria. Well, the results indicated clearly 
that the men ranked the female research assistants highest above all others when that assistant had mimicked them. The lesson here is not to begin mimicry in all your interactions, but rather seek to find common areas of interest or agreement. This makes you more attractive. And the more similar you are, the more attractive you will be. When you have a similar outlook and views, it fuels attraction. For example, in 1989, Michelle Robinson was working at a Chicago law firm when she was assigned to mentor a young summer associate from Harvard named Barack Obama. Not long after, Barack, age 27, asked Michelle, age 25, on a date. And Michelle was reluctant to date one of the few black men at the large firm because it seemed, in her words, a little tacky. But she finally relented. On our first date, I treated her to the finest ice cream Baskin Robbins had to offer, President Obama said. I kissed her, and it tasted like chocolate. Well, Michelle, on the other hand, once said, we clicked right away. By the end of the date, it was over. I was sold. Well, one night in 1991, during a dinner at a Chicago restaurant, the waiter brought a dessert plate covered by a silver lid, and there was an engagement ring in a box on the dessert plate, and they were married in 1992. So, the point of this message is not to give dating or marital advice, but rather to help us identify how to become more attractive to others. And when we do, our likelihood of building a business attracting new customers, influencing others on our team or family, feeling better about ourselves and other parts of our life can improve. So how do you become more attractive? Well, here are a few proven ways to make you a more attractive person. First, and perhaps the most powerful, be intentionally positive. A new study published in Personal Relationships examines the way in which perceptions of physical attractiveness are influenced by positivity. The study finds that individuals, both men and women, who exhibit positive traits are perceived as being better looking. Those who exhibit negative traits appear to be less attractive to others. Studies done at the University of California, Irvine, show the impact of positive emotions on attractiveness. Women were asked to watch a movie with a roommate or stranger, and at the end of the movie, the women felt closer to an individual if that person displayed positive emotions during the course of the movie. A few years ago, a psychologist, Tai Tashiro, published his book, The Science of Happily Ever After. And in the book, he talked about a researcher named John Gottman. John and his wife, Julie, also a psychologist, devoted their lives to discovering how couples build ongoing attractiveness for and relationships with their spouse. Well, over the years of research, they separated couples into two groups, calling them either masters or disasters. Then they went about trying to find out what caused a couple to be in one group or the other. In a designed lab at the University of Washington, they put 130 couples through a rigorous study. The couples spent an entire day under observation at the lab, which really was a glorified bed and breakfast. They were observed doing normal things, cooking and cleaning and talking, hanging out. They noticed that one person in the marriage would often make a bid, they called it. 
A bid was a conversation starter or observation. For example, the husband may say, look at that beautiful bird outside. And the positivity or negativity or even indifference in the response from the spouse was then measured. Based solely on the positivity of that response, researchers could predict with 94% certainty whether couples, rich or poor, childless or not, whatever their situation, would be broken up, together and unhappy, or together and happy several years later. Well, the same goes for us in business or friendships. How do you respond to the bids offered by others? A bid may be as simple as a text message wishing you a good day. And your positivity in that response makes you more or less attractive. As a business person, this is critical. You know, a few years ago, the company MetLife implemented an aptitude test before hiring salespeople. And they found that the aptitude test helped predict the later success of those employees. But then, after learning the positivity principle, they added a second test, a positivity test. And the results were astonishing. Based on that test, MetLife started to hire those who scored extremely high on the positivity test, but who failed the aptitude test. And this is where it gets interesting. Those sales reps who scored high on the positivity test, but failed the aptitude test, outperformed those who passed just the aptitude test alone. And they did so by 21% in the first year and by a massive 57% in the second. The data was indisputable. Positivity heavily correlates to predicting a salesperson's success, even if they lack the prerequisite selling aptitude. Now, we can increase our attractiveness by stepping into other people's shoes. Empathy is a paramount quality to being or not being attractive. I mean, think about it. You may know a physically attractive person who has low emotional intelligence and thinks only about themselves. And it's likely that you're not as attracted to that person. Empathy starts with thinking about the other people's circumstances and understanding their challenges and frustrations and knowing what those emotions are every bit as real as your own. And when you can demonstrate this level of genuine empathy, you become more attractive. Recently, at the University of Rochester, 72 undergraduates were placed into pairs with the opposite gender. And after spending a certain amount of time with the other person, they were asked to rate the person on several characteristics. Only one factor other than physical attractiveness increased the desire to be closer to the other person. And that one factor was empathy. How well the person listened and empathized made the other person attracted to them. And it was the same for both men and women. So when you feel someone understands you, you get it, right? It's electric and effortless, simple, and familiar, and worth waiting for. And this goes for any relationship, romantic or otherwise. The more you understand the other person, the more you become attractive. You know, Ron Howard was born in Oklahoma in 1954. His parents had average acting careers. At age five, his family moved to California, and Ron landed a role in The Andy Griffith Show. And he was there as a young boy for eight seasons. And that role led him to The Happy Days Show, 
where he spent another eight years. By the age of 12, he was making a six-figure annual income. And growing up around lights and cameras and boom microphones, you know, many child movie stars crumble under the control of pushy parents or other greedy adults in the entertainment business. But it wasn't the case for Ron or his brother Clint. Clint said, What spared Ron and me from becoming Hollywood casualties are the values mom and dad instilled in us. The Howards never lived in flashy houses, nor did they go on extravagant family vacations. Their idea of fun was simple, playing baseball or ping pong and watching professional wrestling. And this would have a lasting impact on Ron Howard. He focused less on himself, despite all the trappings of a successful career, and he worked on his empathy skills of understanding others and the world around him. Well, along the way, a petite redhead named Cheryl Alley took a seat in front of Ron in English class in high school. And because she hadn't been allowed to watch television as a child, she'd never seen The Andy Griffiths Show. She was attracted to Ron because of who he was. They dated in high school, were later married, and they have remained married ever since. You know, Ron said he looked at his parents and saw how they chose to live and how happy they were, and he redoubled his efforts to keep on working. After Happy Days, he shifted his work to directing. And as a director, his movies include Far and Away, Cinderella Man, Apollo 13, Da Vinci Code, Solo, A Star Wars Story, and a host of other movies. He's one of the most sought-after and attractive directors in Hollywood because of who he really is. Now next, to be more attractive, change the way you speak. Have you ever paid attention to how attractive personalities speak? Well, most of them, you'll note, refrain from resorting to negative words or judgmental speech or criticism. They avoid it. They are true to others outside of their presence. They stay away from unnecessary drama or malicious gossip. Instead, they offer constructive feedback that empowers others and lifts them up. Doing so will inspire and build trust with others and increase your attractiveness. And the truth is, that what you say about other people says more about you than the people you talk about. You know, years ago, I learned the virtues of being true to other people. And that means if they're not there to hear what you say, don't say anything or say something positive. Now, I decided to try the virtue on in my life. And while I'm far from perfect, here's what I learned. That when you're true to others, you have a light about you. When you enter into gossip or tearing down another person, you lose that light. You feel different as a result. And different means not good. And I learned that if you can't be kind, be quiet. Now, when I'm around other people who speak ill of others outside of their presence, I always wonder, how do those people speak about me when I'm not around? I know people who are genuinely kind and true to others, and they are attractive people. I want to be around them and talk with them, and I trust who they are. You know, several years ago, I read something that I've always remembered. There are three types of things you must always ask yourself before you say anything. First, does this need to be said? Second, does this need to be said by me? And third, does this need to be said by me now? And that has helped me often. To be attractive, pay close attention to how you speak of others. 
Now, I have a person I'm close to in my life, and he's developed the chronic habit of speaking poorly about people pretty much all the time. He's apt to share their problems and weaknesses with others. And despite being in a high-profile position in his organization, I found myself more and more not wanting to spend lots of time with him. Because of my lack of trust in his confidence, I also shared less of what was going on in my life. And slowly, our relationship eroded. You know, people will trust you when you are true to others outside of their presence, and you will shine a bit brighter. This is critically important with your children. They'll confide in you less and distance themselves now and then when they hear you speak ill of other people. And when you don't or speak positively about others, you'll find they will trust your confidence more. It's interesting. As we try to do this better, we'll soon find that we also stop thinking ill of other people, that our conversation does in fact guide our thoughts as well. Just think of what a blessing that would be to only see the positive in other people. You know, in 1946 in northern France, Boris and Marianne Rosimov welcomed a baby boy into the world. His father was Bulgarian, his mother was Polish. And with four brothers and sisters, he was sure to have a happy home. At birth, he weighed a whopping 13 pounds. And his parents weren't particularly big people. His mother was five foot two, his father was six foot two. But by the time he was 12 years of age, he was already six foot three inches tall. Soon, he was diagnosed with a hormonal disorder that caused him to grow unusually big. And throughout his childhood, he worked on his family's farm and he learned woodworking. But given his size, at age 18, he moved to Paris and was connected to a local wrestling promoter. His popularity quickly caught on in Japan, in Canada, in Europe. And while he was wrestling, he continued to grow. Soon, he reached 7 feet 2 inches and 380 pounds. In 1973, he became part of the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, and he was an instant success. He was matched against the famous Hulk Hogan at the showdown at Shea Stadium and hundreds of other wrestlers in matches. He was called the biggest baby face in wrestling and would be given the name of Andre the Giant. Now, there are stories of him drinking 20 bottles of wine or 50 beers in one sitting, and he could eat and eat. But he famously said, what God gave me, I use to make a living. And you may be thinking he was talking about his extreme size, but not so. Andre was beloved in wrestling and in Hollywood because of the type of person he was. He may have been described as the eighth wonder of the world, but despite being physically odd, he was loved and attractive because he was always smiling, always kind, and willing to help anyone who needed help. Almost all who knew him noted he never spoke badly of other people. Although there was one exception. When preparing for a bout with Hulk Hogan, he said, I don't like to speak badly of people. I've grown up thinking and being told that if you can't say something nice about someone, you should not say anything at all. But I must break that rule in this case because I hate Hulk Hogan very much, and he's a big, ugly goon, and I want to squash his face. Later, Hogan and Andre the Giant would become best of friends. Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger said that one day he tried to pay for lunch, and Andre grabbed him, carried him back to his chair like a little doll, and said, I pay. 
Hulk Hogan would say he often heard people say horrible things about Andre because of the way he looked. But the giant was gracious and a kind person. And if you looked at Andre, he was physically ugly. A marvel, yes, but ugly. But people were drawn to him, attracted to him because of the way he was. You too are a giant of sorts. And I believe within you are the traits, the character traits, to be incredibly attractive. You really are a beauty, a wonder, a masterpiece to your creator who spent much of his imagination and divine power to make you who you are today. You were made to be attractive, to draw people, to help them, and to share your talents with them. And your job is to bring to your divine nature those qualities that help others see what you have to offer in the world. And it doesn't matter if you're short like me or a bit strange looking like me. You can let your light shine, so to speak, and make yourself, your spirit, you, attractive. So if you're seeking to influence others in business or a family or in any other setting, trust that as you improve you, you will be more attractive to them. Now, before we end, let me add one final suggestion for being attractive. Rather than be convinced that you have all the answers, listen. Listen to the advice and wisdom of others. Be interested in others and what they have to say. And that alone will draw people to you and cause you to be attractive. Be the person who shows up with the humble gesture of, I want to learn from you. It'll be a sure way to build bridges and gain trust. It shows your humility, a leadership strength that ultimately influences people. You know, with technology and social media ruling our lives, we are becoming less opportunistic in developing our listening skills and less socially aware of its effect on business as a competitive advantage. And as you develop professional relationships, leverage active listening by being able to understand what's happening on the other side of the fence, what's happening with them. Listen intuitively to the other person's story searching conversations for depth and meaning and understanding with the other person's needs in mind. Your listening should have one overarching theme. How can I help the other person? And when that happens, when you listen that way, you will be attractive. So, as we end today, remember the laws of attraction we've spoken about. Attraction comes from who you are more than how you look. People are attracted to the familiar, people they've met before in a positive way. Be intentionally positive. Put yourself in the other person's shoes and practice true empathy. Speak only good of people and know when to say nothing. And be a person who seeks to learn from other people. And then watch what happens. Your God-given attractiveness will shine and grow and soon you'll have greater influence and more success in your business, family, schooling, marriage, and other key roles you may be living in your life today. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.